Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Hey, Jen. Uh, Our intro topic for the day, Jen, what makes you feel old? Which you're not, of course, but, you know, as Uh, we age, things change. Um, What is making you feel old these days? I mean, my perspective is, like, I'm the same age I've always been, right? (laughs) Yes, definitely. I will admit that it was my, and this is an exciting thing, uh, it was my 23rd wedding anniversary the other day. Congratulations. Yay. Uh, And so this year especially was important because I got married when I was 23. So I've been now married to my husband for half of my life. Wow. Um, So it was exciting, you know, but 20, the, the number 23 had totally been on my mind and I was getting my hair cut on the on the day of the anniversary and the the guy who's cutting my hair was just chattering away and he said yeah now that I you know I'm an adult now I should be doing these things because because I'm 23 years old and I was like I've been married for as long as you have been alive (laughs) it just like was this moment of oh wow (laughs) well speaking of high impressive numbers like your husband putting up with you just kidding maybe other way um i mean (laughs) and i will say we are not calling this next guest old because she is no 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 absolutely not no i was gonna say impressive numbers numbers, exactly our next guest is incredible she has done it all including being an egg donor six times and a surrogate three times also among running an agency, all the amazing things which we um, will let you her and a kidney donor about. once. Oh my so, yes. yes, she's amazing. So please listen. Welcome Eloise Drain from Family Inceptions. Thank you so much for joining us, Eloise. Thanks, Ellen, for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, so you are probably one of the most experienced persons in assisted reproductive technology that we know. <laughs> so where right. to start? <laughs> um, so we'll just throw some numbers out. So six-time egg donor, <clears throat> three-time surrogate, um, one-time kidney donor. Is all of that correct? That That's correct. Yes. Wow. And, Started- and also agency owner, so also experienced in handling all of these things too. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That as well. Um, yeah, I, it's actually started off as a kidney donor first. Oh, you were a kidney oh, okay. donor first? I was going to ask, yes. where did it all start? Tell us yes. the story. Okay. So started off as a kidney donor first. I was a kidney donor to my cousin. And then um, we... Oh. And I know we California. have so much of the story of all these to cover, but I do, just how did that... Like she was having health issues and it came up or you offered? I'm just he, so, so actually, curious. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So real quickly on that. Um, so um, he actually had a kidney. He had kidney failure when he was 18. My aunt, wow. his mom gave him a kidney. All was well. And oh, then wow. he ended up getting sick like five or six years after that oh, um, wow. so kidney. It, and it, then it, it failed. Okay. Yes. Um, and then it failed and then he went on the kidney list. And then of course, everybody in our family, and we have a very big family. Okay. So my family is Cape Verdean, which is off the West coast of Africa. So, um, just, just imagine there's no TVs and there's no anything. So, (laughs) I mean, there is now, but not back then. So we have a very big family. Okay. My grandmother had 10 children. 
Wow. So um, all our family pretty much tried to see if they were a match, including his father, his sister, um, everybody, and no one was a match. And the first time that I actually went to see if I was a match, we were not. I was not a match. Oh. Um, and then about almost two years later, um, I decided to do it again. Um, and he was like, why? I mean, we know we're not a match. I'm like, I don't yeah. know. Something is just telling me, go do it. So wow. I did within three hours, um, three hours, three weeks rather, of submitting blood work. They came or I called them and then they told me that we were a match. And then, um, and then it was 10 months of testing and things are definitely different how, now than how when they were. How does that change? Did you think there was an accident with the first or something wrong with the first testing? But how would it change? No, in all honesty for me, I think it was just all God. I, oh. I, I mean, there's no other, there's just no other human wow. explanation. Yeah. That's amazing. There really isn't. Um, So we went on to do the surgery. It was a success. He um, actually, he recovered faster than I did because it was a very long recovery process. Um, But unfortunately, he died six weeks after the surgery um, from E. coli poisoning. Yeah, go oh. figure, right? Wow. I know, I know. I know just the craziest stuff. Um, but in between that, after we had the surgery, um, he lived in California and we had the surgery in Massachusetts and I went and visited him in California. And um, while myself and my cousin, his sister, we were out at a mall. Um, and remember, so this was in 1998. Um, this is when malls still had like, you know, newspapers and magazines and stuff that people mm-hmm. actually picked up and actually mm-hmm. read. So yeah. Um, <laughs> so I um, was waiting on her and I picked up a magazine that they had. They almost classified ads in there. And I saw an ad for egg donation. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I already had my three kids. So I was like, oh, it's probably something I can do. And then, you know, kind of just put it in the back of my, I, my cousin and I, we spoke about it and I was like, would you ever be able to do that? And, you know, I remember I was having that conversation yeah. and then put it in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to the end of 1999. Um, I thought about it again and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to call this agency that I ha- had saw and see if I would even qualify. And at that by point, yeah. that point, I had moved to Georgia. So I called them and I was like, you know, I know I live in Georgia. I'm not in California. I'm probably not going to be qualified, whatever. And the agency was like, oh, no, no, you actually would be a great candidate. The problem mm-hmm. is, is that Black women don't really have fertility issues. And so it's going to be really difficult to match you. What? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, and again, remember, this is the end of 1999. So Dr. Google isn't what we know Dr. Google to be right now. Right. (laughs) So, um, so I was like, okay, well, and who's really going to tell me any different. Right. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, just, you know, contact me if somebody ever comes available. Um, and then the summer of 2000, the end of summer of 2000, I get a phone call that there is a family that's interested in what am I still interested? And I said, yes, we, um, went ahead, started the whole process and it wasn't the greatest process. I have to knowing what I know now Mm. and knowing what I experienced, then it was definitely not a good experience. Um, and what part of it was 
All of it. So (laughs) first, um, I mean, once we were matched, the clinic, I mean, the agency put me in touch with the clinic. I never heard back from the agency. Oh. That was the first thing. Interesting. Um, When it was time for medications and everything else, I was the one doing all the legwork, finding the clinic to go find, do my monitoring. And, you know, now they took care of all the payments and all of that, but I was pretty much doing all of the running around. um, And then when it was time to do the medication, I still vividly remember the first time I had to take the the first shot. And it was, um, this was still when, I can't remember the medicine, of course, um, but this was still when it was in powder form and you actually had to break the glass and then mix it. Wow. (laughs) Um, And I remember I broke the glass and I cut my finger. (gasps) breaking the glass. So I had like blood, um, you know, coming out and I'm trying to make sure that the blood is not going to contaminate the, I was like, shoot. So, and then, you know, I finally got everything together now getting ready to now have to inject myself. You know, there is no videos. There was no YouTube to try to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this or whatever? There was nobody to call because it was in the evening. So, it literally took me like 40 minutes to finally psych myself up to give my, myself that first shot. And I finally did. And I was like, oh, okay. It wasn't as bad as I really thought. But, you know, just having to, the fact that you just have to do it to yourself, it's like, oh my God, like, oh my yeah. God, I have to get myself a shot. So um, finally did that, went to the clinic, got my um, monitoring done, got my ticket um, and then flew out, uh, the day. So I had to do my final, um, trigger shot. And where flew did you have to go to? To Michigan. Michigan. Okay. Yep. So did my trigger shot, flew out, um, a nurse from the clinic. Uh, so I flew in, took a taxi to the hotel, a nurse from the clinic came and picked me up at 7 a.m., took me to the clinic, did the retrieval, let me rest for 45 minutes, dropped me back off at the hotel, gave me a a check for um, $3,000, that was my comp, gave me a check for $3,000 and was like, thanks, call a taxi and you can go home tomorrow. Wow. I was like, oh, well, damn. That feels a little dirty, like the way you described it. Exactly. And that's exactly how I felt. Wow. Um, So I was like, okay, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this again. Um, Because really for me, what it was, was, and and I kind of say it, it, it's kind of a, a selfish need in that, you know, when I gave my cousin a kidney, I mean, I was still fairly young. I was 23, but I just knew that I knew that I knew it was something that I was supposed to do. Don't ask me how, don't ask me why. I don't know. I just knew. Um, and even with the egg donation, I also felt that it was something that I needed to do, but it was also a selfish reason in that I really enjoyed the what I felt when I gave my cousin the kidney. And of like, you know, kind of like that empowerment of, wow, I did that. I, that was me. That was the, you know, um, the, I'm the one who 
potentially gave him another ability to have a life and all of these things. And so when I was doing the egg donation, I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm giving these people an, an opportunity to be able to have a legacy. And, you know, so these are the things that are running through my head. And then after that experience, I was like, oh, oh, no, that is definitely not this is not yeah. how I anticipated all of this is supposed to be. Right. So after that, I was like, all right, I'm done. I don't think I'm ever going to do this again. But And then <laughs> fast forward two years um, somehow, and I don't remember how, but um, a, there was a website called task, T-A-S-C.org. And if you were in the industry back in the days, everybody knew about that website. Cause that was kind of like what Soro moms used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, where you'd had a classified ad and you would be able to put information um, if you were looking for a donor or a surrogate or wanted to be whatever. So um, so I decided to put my information in there, really anticipating that I was never going to get called or it was going to be a while. Within two to three hours, I had 15 <sighs> emails wow. of Black women looking for a Black donor. Oh, wow. wow. And I was like, Huh. Okay. Wow. Maybe what they said was not right. Right. <laughs> so um, then I went on and did a total of five more donations twice for the sa- same family mm-hmm. who wanted to do a sibling journey. I still have relationships with those. Um, a few of them that I worked with. Um, I have met. Um, you know, a couple of my egg donor babies. So you were um, a known donor also before before that was a real, I mean. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Donors, so before that was the the kind of vogue as it is right now. Yes. Oh, yes, Do you yes. know if you have children genetically related to you from oh, yeah. the first donation? N- the first donation, I know it was successful, but that's all I know. But it was anonymous. Had, like, so when DNA test and show up and be like, surprise. Yeah. So I am actually anticipating that that maybe one day that would happen. And for me, it's totally okay. Mm -hmm. Because one thing is I've always been very upfront with my children, with my husband, with my family. So everybody knows. So for me, there, you know, I mean, even to the point where I have shown my family, my children, obviously my mom or whatever, my egg donor babies, and there's one that looks very similar to me and we'll make fun about it. And, you mm-hmm. know, and they be like, well, mom, you know, what if she comes knocking on the door? I'm like, okay, well then here you go. Here's the, you know, the other um, clan of this DNA makeup. So, yeah. you know, and we laugh about it because I normalized it. Yeah. Right. And do your children have relationships or no? No. Uh, okay. No. Because again, the way I look at egg donation is what I gave to this, these families was DNA. I didn't give them my children. My children are, well, they're not home because they're grown, but <laughs> My children are completely different than the DNA makeup that I provided to another family. So that's how I look at egg donation. Um, and so, but they haven't been curious or wanted to have that contact themselves. My children, your children, with kind of your with your um, 
the children can see. That you raised. Right? The, the yes, yeah. the children you raised or the children. The donor you babies. Yes, exactly. So, well, one, I still think that they're still, I mean, they're all still under 18. So I don't know mm, if their parents, and it is more yeah, on their parents yeah. than them. Um, as I mentioned, I have spoken to um, one of my donor babies. Um and, you know, she wanted to know about me and more about, you know, my family and history and all of that. Yeah. And so um, I've definitely spoken to her and have like literally like, here's my cell number. If you have questions, yeah. if you want to know nice. things, if you whatever. Um, her biggest thing was like, so I have this thing about shoes. I was like, yes, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> the shoe gene. Yeah. That's a, a serious genetic yes. condition. Yes. Yes. And I was like, and funny enough, it's me and my son. Um, it kind of oh. skipped my daughter, but my son is a shoe man. So yeah. <laughs> so it definitely does not fall from far from the tree at all. Um, so after I did my egg donations, um, I at two, in 2005, I thought about starting an actual agency specifically to mm. help um, a black and brown community to find donors because it was so difficult. Unfortunately, it still is now. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But yeah. at the time, it was still very difficult. And then I found out that I was pregnant with my youngest son. I was trying to finish my MBA. I was working a full-time job, married and three kids. So I was like, uh, And you're like, why not? Yeah, start right now is not the best time, time right? <laughs> <laughs> to, to start anything. So so I um, kind of just put it on hold, but then I started looking into other agencies and saying, oh, you know, maybe I can actually work for an agency and, you know, and help that way. Um, and then I found a surrogacy agency that was actually in Oregon at the time um, and talked to them. And then they wanted to start a donor program. And I was like, okay, great. So I started working with them and started their donor program, but in that time nice. learned about surrogacy. I was like, oh, oh my God, this is so fascinating. Like I <laughs> have the easiest pregnancies and um, and I loved being pregnant. So um, actually I was like, yeah, I can definitely do this. And then it was halted when I went to my husband to tell him I wanted to. And he's like, I, yeah, <laughs> And not those exact words. Um, so since this is a family show, we're going to leave those words out. Um, and it took uh, over a year to finally get him on board to be okay with me being a surrogate. And then once he gave me his blessing, then I had to go to my family. Mm -hmm. um, and trying to explain to um, a woman who came from, you know, is an immigrant, came from a different country, doesn't. You know, I mean, English was not, I mean, she speaks fine English, but English is not her first language. Um, so as, as you can imagine, technology and all of these things of, you know, that I'm getting ready to talk to her about and doing this. And she looked at me like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> oh, and then to boot, she's also Catholic. So uh. Um, trying to really explain and break this down to her. And, um, but finally she came along and, and now she's my biggest champion, mm. but, um, and then decided like, okay, I'm going to go and look for an agency to help me to be a surrogate. Um, at, by that point I had stopped working with the other agency in Oregon. We're not even going to go down that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. and so 
I started looking at other agencies and applied and crickets, not a single phone call, not an email, nothing for months. Hmm. So I was like, huh, okay, fine. Guess what? I'm just going to go find someone myself. So um, after talking to my husband and agreeing on who we would help, um, I went ahead and found a local family and... um, we did three rounds and then successfully on the third round, um, ended up pregnant with twins. I had twin girls. Wow. And can I ask, was it, did you go on like the website similarly to help find someone or how did you, at that point? So at this point now it's 2007. So Sarah moms, Mm, um, was available. Um, and so, I went on Sarah moms, um, and found my family there. Got it. Yep. Um, and then we just, you know, started conversing and, um, and met, uh, and then it just kind of kicked off from there, went ahead. Um, actually the first transfer did was successful, but then it ended up in a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the subsequent ones, the third one was what was successful, ended up delivering twins. And then I thought I was for sure done. Um, always famous last word, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, uh, a friend of mine, um, called me and she said, I have this couple in Atlanta and you have to talk to them. They're looking for a surrogate. And I'm like, you know, that I have this thing called Anthony and you know, he is not (laughs) going to be okay with this. And she's like, just talk to them, just talk to them. So, um, my second intended mom and I got on the phone for 30 minutes. It was supposed to be a 30 minute phone call. It ended up being three hours. Mm -hmm. Wow. So needless to say, after that phone call, I hung up and trying to figure out how I'm going to approach my husband to um, do this again, right? And he was just like, no. I mean, I, before I could even get the words, he's like, no. And I'm like, just listen, just hear me out. Um, and then it finally took a little bit of convincing. And I was like, well, let's just go meet them. And if you don't, if you don't like them, if we don't connect, whatever, fine. Um, and we went and met out for lunch within 15 minutes. He connected with, um, the intended father and then Mm. it was a done deal. I already knew that was going to happen. So I ended up having a boy for them. And then my third couple, um, actually by that point, I had already by that point started the agency and it was my first couple that actually, um, really just, pushed me to start the agency because there was none in the state of Georgia at the time. Um, And so I started with kind of their guidance or whatever about starting an agency and just, you know, what people would want and look for and whatever. Um, And then the state of Georgia was trying to pass a personhood bill. Mm-hmm. And um, actually the clinics got together, hired a lobbyist, And I was able to get in contact with that lobbyist who told me, like, do not do anything right now in the state of Georgia because we don't know what's going to happen. And if this bill passes, then fertility care, as we know it here in the state, is going to be not good. So I waited. um, And then 2008, I reached back out to him and I was like, well, and he was like, yep, doesn't look like it's going to move forward. So go ahead. And so I started the agency in 2008. And um so fast forward to my third intended parents, they had came, were um, talking, and I mentioned to them, obviously, I had been a surrogate before, and they were like, oh, 
that's it. You're going to be our surrogate. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not possible. You know, all the things that you go down, they were like, no, no, we, we, okay, we're going to go home and think about this. But a couple of days later, they called me back and they were like, yeah, I mean, we, we just know you, you need to be our surrogate. And I'm like, I, no, he's like, <laughs> you're no, like, wait, you don't I understand. Part of this equation too, right? <laughs> I would love to, but again, I have this thing at home called Anthony. And so, um, no, that's not a possibility. So they were like, well, just think about it. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to tell you guys, this is gonna, you know, and they were like, well, just wait. And I'm like, but you don't understand how long this process can actually be. And they were like, we'll wait. They did for eight months. And then um, just one day out of the blue, they called me and they were like, do you mind, you know, maybe talking to him again? And I was like, oh God. Um, (laughs) So I went home that day. He happened to be outside, just, you know, looking outside and um, sitting in a rocking chair. And I was like, babe. And he was like, oh God. always a way to start the conversation, babe. I know. (laughs) So, um, Long story short, he finally agreed and um, I ended up, um, in this time it was a same-sex couple and I ended up carrying a little girl for them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then after that, I unfortunately ended up having uh, complications with that pregnancy, or not the pregnancy actually, pregnancy was picture perfect. It was after delivery, I couldn't oh. stop bleeding um, and then ended up having to have an emergency hysterectomy. Oh. Yeah. But I was, you know what, though, it was, I'm totally okay with it. So <laughs> you're like, I need a way to say no. <laughs> yes, we'll do it. Yes, 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 exactly. So the only thing I, I fear, you know, it's like, oh my God, like, what if my children need to, you know, have infertility mm. issues and they um, need to surrogate or whatever. But then yeah. I think about well, no, because that's why I do all this advocacy work and I try to mm. push to help change things so that if God forbid my children or my grandchildren or my nieces or nephews or families or whatever um, have to have that assistance that we're, we've put a, a path so that it's going to be an easier process for them than it is for so many before us. Yeah. And let's talk about that. So your advocacy work, where, I mean, things are not great, right? But you've been working on getting them better. Kind of where, where are we now? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, you know, the thing about infertility, and I know probably people look at it well, like, well, you, you don't have any infertility issues. I mean, you've been doing all of these things. And it's like, no, I don't have infertility issues, thank God. But I do know a lot of people that do. And what I've realized, it's not just the people that are enduring the issues that need to speak out. It's everybody. Yeah, their families. It's um, everyone. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, and one of the biggest issues that I have seen over the years, I mean, technically at this point now, it's been 21 years since I've been in this industry. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of things happen. I've seen a lot of people go and come um, and then go again. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, but there's still things that are still the same as they were. They've gotten better, but there's still a lot. For instance, the healthcare disparities, the issues with uh, black and brown communities getting the care that they need for fertility. And it's not just infertility, it's fertility. Um, you know, unfortunately, there are 
a lot of professionals that still have a lack of understanding when it comes to um, just how to deal with people that are not the same as them. Um, And my charge, quite frankly, is to help really open people's eyes of, you know, doctors, for instance. We know you guys know a whole lot, but you also have to remember that these patients that you're seeing, they don't know anything. So you can't speak to them the same way you speak to your colleagues. You have to be able to have patience. Lord, please have patience (laughs) with the patients because they are going into an unknown. They have no idea. A terrifying unknown at that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, And then especially when it comes to the Black and Brown community, there's already this Um, disconnect with the medical profession. Um, And a lot of families, minorities specifically, uh, because of history. And so it's not something that is just going to stop just because technology has changed. Because unfortunately, in this country, there's still a lot of things that are still occurring that happened many moons ago. So it has to be that we all need to come together and be able to be open and being able to be uh, to be able to see other people's perspective. You know, we all have two pairs of eyes, God willing. Right. We all have two pairs of eyes uh, or two two eyes, I should say. (laughs) And um, and but what I see is different than what you, Ellen, see. What you, Ellen, see is different than what Jen sees. No one can ever see the same because we have different eyes. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be open and willing to be able to see the other person's perspective and be willing to see it from their perspective so that we can understand their journey and why their issues are the the issues that they have. And, and, um, And when I started kind of changing my mindset to that perspective, it just started opening my eyes to things of, um, for instance, with fibroids. Fibroids is extremely prevalent in um, the Black community, but it's not spoke about. Um, And that's something I think people, most people don't know just because that's exactly right. People don't talk about it. Nope, they don't talk about it. But the other thing that's also unknown is it's not um, really uh, taken care of even on the medical side. Um, So I am on the board of an organization called the White Dress Project, um, and they specialize in helping to bring awareness about fibroids. Um, And we literally just had a board meeting um, last week. And one of the women were sharing her story. You know, she had all these issues, fi- 15 fibroids. Um, one of them was so big that she actually looked like she was nine, um, damn near nine months pregnant. She just thought she was <sighs> gaining weight. Wow. And the only thing that the doctor recommended was a hysterectomy. No one wow. gave her any other options or whatever. Um, and luckily she went to a different doctor. They were able to remove all the fibroids and they did not have to take, do the hysterectomy. Another woman talked about how she, um, went into the hospital because she had so much bleeding and so many problems and they, 
you know, she had wanted to have the surgery and they were pretty much were like, well, this is a cosmetic issue. And so unless you're coming in here and pretty much dying, we can't do the surgery for you per her insurance. It's like, are you kidding me right now? This is, this is what we're, yeah. Um, you know, and it's not just fibroids, it's PCOS, it's endometriosis. It's all kinds of things that unfortunately a lot of black women get misdiagnosed. Um, and when in actuality, you know, they could have told her that she had, um, what is, what's the acronym for PID? Um, the pelvic inflammatory, uh, disease or whatever it is. I don't know the actual, yeah. Yeah. Um, when in actuality it was actually PCOS or endometriosis. Um, so again, there's still a lot of things that need to be addressed, um, or even going down the rabbit hole of the high maternal, um, fetal deaths that are occurring in black women right now. I mean, we are one of, if not the most, um, you know, technology based country in the world. And we are still having women dying at rapid rates during pregnancy, which is like, what? I mean, in the state of Georgia alone, there's what, 100 and I believe of 59 or 69 counties in our state. Uh, 89, I believe, of those counties don't even have an OBGYN. 10 of those uh, counties don't even have a pediatrician. Wow. So I'm like, okay, so how do you expect people to get care when there's not even physicians there to be able to provide the care. Um, and then there's no plan, planned parenthood. There's only two in the entire state. There's only two planned parenthoods and they're all pretty much in the Atlanta, Metro Atlanta area. That is, I, I actually, I, I'm going to sit here kind of and stumble a little bit. Cause I actually, I, I know that access to care has always been, it's always been presented as a, oh, well, people just aren't willing to step forward, you know, in the black and brown community. And it doesn't even sound like it's it's not that. It's there, there's nowhere to step forward to to exactly. ask questions exactly. is what it really comes down to. Exactly. There's so no I, place to ask questions. And then also the doctors don't have the patients anymore to, again, no pun intended, but to be able to speak to the patients and to actually hear what they're saying, listen to what they're saying, and then uh, act accordingly. You know, not everybody can fit the textbook of what you had in medical school. Right. So, you know, it's, and, and quite honestly, um, if we look at it, the studies and the information often that are used out of these textbooks, who were they tested on? Hmm. So, so yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no. I was going to say, I mean, next thing is I know you started this new organization. Can you tell us about that? Yes. RAMP. So um, we had to use an acronym because it stands for Reproductive Advocates of Multi-Ethnic Professionals. So try to say that five (laughs) times fast. Um, So developed RAMP to really help, again, professionals in our space to really understand how to um, really work with 
um, minorities. And it's not just the black community, it's the brown community, Latina um, community, or should I, sorry, Latinx community. Um, the um, Even from Indians who also are having issues. I mean, right now there's a huge disparity in finding black and brown donors. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many people looking for donors that look like them, that resemble them. And it's it's extremely difficult. I mean, you can go into any database right now and find 20, 30, 40, 50 um, white women, you know, that have some kind of resemblance, but you're not going to find that for, um, you know, if you're looking for a black or brown or even but an Indian. I donor. heard black women don't have fertility issues. Is yeah. That- right. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. and, you know, and one of the issues and actually uh, Jen and I were when we were at the conference together, um, I was in a um, we were in a, a session together. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that were brought up in that session was why is there such a disparity um, about the donors? Well, number one, if I'm being real, clinics weren't looking for these donors. They are now, now that everybody is desperate for them. But up until even a year ago, clinics weren't looking for Black donors because, and I actually had someone from a fertility clinic tell me um, they had a couple of black donors in their bank. They were going to hurry up and pretty much put them on sale or clearance or whatever and get rid of them because there really is no need. So, and this was just a couple of years ago. So no one was looking for them. The other thing again is the lack of education. If you're not educating um, the masses of egg donation, of fertility, of being able to even have access to go to a, a gyno for a regular pap and to even get screened, like, yeah. n- no. Um, so, you know, it is unfortunate that um, for the ones that are looking for these services, they're having such a hard time. And so that even adds on to the more of an emotional piece when, okay, now you know you have infertility issues. Now you know you need to have a donor and there's nothing out there for you. So frustrating. So how is RAMP working to advocate and how can people reach out or support the cause? What can, what can people do? So um, again, so we're trying to really help the edu- educate the professionals, and that's what Ramp is for. It's really for the professionals. Um, we are working to find as many um, organizations that are out there currently for the community that are already have boots on the ground, like Fertility for Colored Girls. There's Broken Brown Egg. There's the White which, Trust Project, which had an episode with us. So, we have a picture that we is contraband from ASRM. We actually Eloise took, an, took oh. a photo. We took a photo with her, but we took it with our masks off. It was contraband. Ooh. So yes, <laughs> yes. Don't show that in public. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's, um, oh gosh, why am I going blank on? Uh, there's another, a couple of different other organizations that are out there that are definitely doing grassroots um, 
efforts to try to help the community. And I knew that there was a lot that was out there trying to help the community. But in a lot of times, it's the professionals that get to the community first. Um, and so my thing is, well, we need to get to the professionals. We need to be able to help educate them first so that when they do have these patients in front of them, they know how to address their concerns and, and how to, um, consider their perspective. Um, so if so a professional William, heard this and they're like, we could do better, can they reach out to you for like a class or to have you speak? How does that work? Yes. So we are literally in the process right now um, of getting everything set up. Lord, no, a nonprofit is a lot of work. Okay. <laughs> I've heard. I think you and I talked about that too. Yeah. <laughs> Had I known then what I know now, Oh no, honestly. The labor of love, labor of love. That is all it is. Um, because this is all just doing it out of just knowing that it needs to happen. Um, and just to, and it's not just for trying to educate the professionals on the black and brown community. It's educating the professionals for that they to understand the patients that are coming to them are different than who they are. And they need to be yeah. open and willing to know that they can't approach everybody exactly the same way. They can't care for people exactly the same way. I mean, it's even something that I talk about in education in general. Nobody um, can learn exactly the same way. And so it's even yeah. the same for your care. Um, and one of the other big things that we're trying to push is helping people to understand that they need to advocate for themselves. That's huge. Um, because that is another big dilemma, I feel, is you go to the doctors and they tell you what they tell you. And then it's like, oh, OK, well, that's what the doctor said. Nope. That's what the doctor said, but now let me go and do a little bit more digging and let me see what, you know, is out there. Maybe go get a second opinion, maybe go get a third opinion. Um, because the thing about doctors is it's practicing doctor. They're learning too. That's exactly yes. right. You yeah. know, and every single case is not going to be textbook. So, um, so yeah, so with RAMP, we are again no pun intended but we are ramping up um trying to get oh come uh, on Own it. Own the puns. Info Own yes the i'm gonna have to <laughs> um getting out as much information as possible hopefully we were trying to do it for the fall of first it was fall of 2020 where we see what happened um in 2020 and then it was the fall of 2021 but oh my god it's so much work so we're pushing again for 2022. We do have a space on our, um, we just have a landing page and just gathering people's information. Um, oh my God, what, I just forgot the website, but I'll let you know what the website is and you can, you know, we'll put, put it in. We'll link to it for sure. Yeah. Like that, yeah. But, um, and just signing up and we'll, we're collecting everybody's information, but ultimately we're working on putting courses together, gathering information. I mean, just going down to the foundation of why is there such a disparity? You know, what, professionals need to understand of why the black and brown community have such a distrust. I mean, you know, 
I, I'm amazed at how many people, uh, professionals, didn't know about Henrietta Lack or the Tuskegee experiment or the fact that there is right now, today, in 2021, there's still a pending case in North Carolina of people suing the state for sterilizing Black men and women. Wow. This is still going on today. So, I mean, just a couple of years ago, wasn't there where, I think it was in Georgia or where it's somewhere in the South that they were, you know, um, still finding out that they were trying to sterilize people. Like, come on, we need Crazy. to do better as a society. Right. And no wonder there's a distrust, right? Yes. I mean, you know, you're, to you're told that you don't have fertility problems as it is. So why would you trust anything else anybody else says? Because at this point, they've already completely misjudged. And also, you don't have fertility problems, apparently, and we're going to sterilize you so you don't have babies, too. Yeah. You, you know, but yeah. But trust us. Trust yeah. us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or, um, you know, and then the other thing, too, right now is really, if we think about it, and I'm I'm just, hey, I'm, I'm just going to be real. The whole thing about the black and brown community didn't really actually become a thing until after George Floyd. Yeah. Now everybody wants to get on the black bandwagon. And I'm not saying that it's it's not a good thing. It's definitely a good thing. It's just about time that yeah. it's now happening. I'm glad it's happening, but there is we, we are way behind and there's a lot to be done to catch up. Um and it's unfortunate that it took this man um, to die the way he did and to the issues that have happened thus far um, for things to change. But hey, it's changing. I'm glad it's changing. But there's there's so much, so much that needs to, to be done. That is, yeah, yes, there is. So I think everybody should go and sign up for your newsletter. And I'm sure you would take volunteers too to help, I, I suspect. Oh, correct? yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Every volunteer you, to help. If you're a professional in this industry, please reach out to me. Um, yes, it. because even though, yes, this is a community that we're focusing um again, more on the professionals, but to help educate them on the black and brown community. But this is a multi-ethnic group, um, which means we need everybody because it's not just the black and brown people that are going to change things. It's black, brown, white, Asian, Indian, blue, green, yellow. It doesn't matter. It's everybody. Absolutely. Right. Well, we are so appreciative of you sharing a little bit of your story since there's so much to it. And um, the other thing, let's do a shout out for your podcast. Do you want to tell listeners of this right. podcast of another great podcast they can listen to? Yes. So, yes, thank you. It's called Fertility Cafe. Um, and, you know, trying to keep up with you guys. You guys are in your what season? Uh, we, stopped doing um, we gave up on seasons. <laughs> we have somewhere close to 130 episodes, though. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't given up on my seasons because I look forward to the break. Um, yeah, we just <laughs> randomly take breaks now. We just don't tell people. <laughs> Got it. Um, yes, but we are in our third season. So, awesome. um, yeah, we're 50 some odd episodes. That's and, incredible. Um, and it's a mix of solo uh, 
episodes and then um, guest episodes and really focusing on third party uh, anything, surrogacy, egg donation, embryo donation, sperm. Um, we've even had some stuff about adoption. Um, mm-hmm. And just, again, just like you guys, we just need to work on getting information out about this industry, how people um, can do things, things that they can do to protect themselves, things that they need to do to be aware of, um, you know, so just, yeah, all of the things. Love it. Love it. We all work together to make sure that nobody feels alone through this process. So yes. as listeners yes, run yes. out of listening to all 130 plus of our episodes, check out Fertility yes, Cafe exactly. as well. I actually think Eloise will be not 130. I think that's oh. if I'm counting correctly. So <laughs> possibly. Oh, but I like being an even number, you know. I, oh, now I feel like there's pressure. <laughs> oh, I better go back and count and make sure. <laughs> Oh, but yes, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. I've, I, we've been waiting for this for a long time. We've, we've been very excited to have you on. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, and I'm just grateful that there are just other individuals in the industry. I think, you know, people think like, oh, you know, so they're agencies, they must be competitors. Okay, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more of, you know, respect of, I know you're doing a good job and I know that you're um, you care for your clients. Obviously we care for ours. And it's like, if everybody in our industry would do the same thing, like the, uh, the things that we could, you know, smack uh, the Jennifer laws of the world down and just tell her to shut up and go sit down somewhere. Um, that's what I want. That well, is, and the more we know. can support and learn from each other, the better it is for everyone. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. We bring each other up instead that's of right. pulling each other down. That's right. That's right. And then helping so that, again, we help the industry as a whole um, to be able to, you know, again, these combat, these naysayers that are, that are out there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much, Eloise. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate the time and, um, you know, the opportunity to come and share on your podcast. Thank you to Eloise Drain for sharing her time and her story with us. We are such big fans of you. So thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And speaking and of fans. I, I said, what? <laughs> I would say you were about to take it away from me. Go what? Go for it. Thank you to everybody who listens to us, uh, who leaves us iTunes reviews. Even the little clicky, the star thing is pretty awesome for us. Um, and of course, we actually, I, I think we've started announcing this over the past couple of weeks that we have a new group on Facebook. So you can log on and start talking with other people. Hopefully we'll start to get our guests in there and it really interact. I definitely know some guests have joined. So it's an opportunity yes. to get to connect with them directly if you're interested. Yeah. No, I think it'd be a, a really fun way to, to connect and ask, you know, if you have further questions about interviews and, and get to know everybody. Because, you know, these people we bring in, they're everybody, they're real people and they are very, very passionate about about these subjects and what they do. So we, we'd love to, to spark and continue those conversations. Um, so thank you as always to our team, to Amanda, to Tyler, to Melissa, and of course to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, uh, who all make us incredible. We are in the week after Thanksgiving, we are still thankful for all of you. So thank you for listening. Thank you. 